1: Welcome to Fried, the ultimate guide to burnout podcast. If you've ever been burnt out because of your job, your relationship, or just your life, this is the place for you. We will talk all things burnout by sharing deep stories of personal transformation each week with a new guest who vows to share their stories without leaving out the scary bits. This is raw, honest, and brought to you by acupuncturist and burnout coach Kate Donovan, whose own experiences make her determined to change the current burnout culture. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Fried: the Ultimate Guide to Burnout podcast. Today, my guest is Kelly McConaughey, who is a collaborative divorce attorney and mediator who helps families get divorced without fighting in court is committed to problem solving and managing conflict between couples to create solutions that protect children and maximize the family's finances. Her clients rave about her creative financial solutions, attentive concern, and calm demeanor. Her commitment and passion for this work comes from her own experience going through divorce and recognizing that the right process can lay the foundation for the co-parenting that continues for years after a divorce. Kelly, welcome to the show, and thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. It's
0: really great to be
1: here. I am really excited to talk to you today because I think that the topics you're covering are so incredibly important, and we will definitely get to those things. But first, I will invite you to share your burnout journey. What what happened?
0: Well, for me, I started out practicing law in a... uh, fairly large firm doing business litigation. And it was intellectually interesting work, very challenging. And when I started off, I I definitely enjoyed it. But then as time went on and the demands for the job became relentless, it became more of a problem, especially once I had a child. So I switched my work schedule to, to part-time and I put that in air quotes, part-time, Because part-time when you work for a big firm is still more time than what most people do in a full-time job. You can't exactly tell a judge, oh, I'm sorry, I don't work on Fridays, or I work an abbreviated schedule. If you've got a court hearing or you've got a trial, the demands are just as relentless as they are when you're full-time. So I reached a point where it just stopped fulfilling me. It was interesting, and I liked parts of it, but the demands on the schedule just became too much, and also just the whole litigation process. I I felt like I was spending so much time in fights on behalf of clients that didn't really advance the ball towards reaching resolution, and I found that frustrating because it seemed like a waste of their time, a waste of their money and i didn't really feel like i was serving people it didn't it didn't really speak to my soul it was in my head but not really in in my soul so for me i reached a point after about 10 years of that where i realized i i couldn't keep doing it anymore it was just too much and i left the practice of law and i didn't practice law again for quite a while but i I did other things. I did um, actually started making jewelry and selling it, which is very different than practicing law. Um, But then when I went through my own divorce, I realized that I wanted to go back to law, but I was thinking about doing it in a completely different way. So for me, it was reinventing myself and not doing the litigation route anymore. It was really born out of my own divorce experience and realizing that there was a way to help families that didn't mean destroying their family.
1: Yeah, that's really powerful. Now, you said that you were feeling a lot of frustration and you weren't feeling fulfilled and that you were sort of out of alignment with where you were supposed to be. It wasn't feeding your soul. Did you have on top of that any other physical or emotional symptoms that you were burning out? Like, how oh did you gosh. know that? <laughs> yeah.
0: Yes. <laughs> a resounding yes. Absolutely. I, like, my body had so much tension in it. I remember I would go downstairs in the office building and they had um, chair massages at this salon in the same office building where I worked. And I would go down there and the guy would get, touch my shoulders and he'd be like, You're like a rock here. You're so tense. And i had I had back issues. I had I dealt with depression, clinical depression. I was on antidepressants. I haven't been on antidepressants in over a decade. Uh, so it was definitely it was definitely taking a huge toll on me physically as well as mentally and emotionally.
1: What did you feel like the mental and emotional aspects were?
0: I would say it's a combination of things in part. There's something about being in litigation where you're expected to almost present a certain type of facade. It's not a whole person. It's you're supposed to be tough, especially when you're working at a big firm and you're female. You have to compete. You're competing with men, and so you have to put on this: you are tough, you are assertive. You don't get to be a whole person, and so that. That will wear on you if it doesn't. If it doesn't sit well with who you are as a person, um, I have actually have a friend who also worked at a big law firm, and she was critiqued by another lawyer in her firm because she was too kind in correspondence to the opposing counsel. Like she'd said, made some reference to, you know, have a nice weekend with your family. It was something very innocuous, but it was viewed in a negative light as as inappropriate. And that's not how people want to interact with colleagues, even if you're on the opposite side. So there is sort of this disconnect and this lack of seeing people as a whole person. Lawyers are notorious for having very high rates of substance abuse and uh, depression, suicide. And I think it's because there's this push and this drive, not only to perform and Meet quotas for billable hours, but also just this push to pretend that you're somebody that you're really not.
1: Right. So, do you think that your depression was, um, therefore, like a symptom of this need to be disconnected in your day to day life in order for you to act in the way that your law firm needed you to?
0: Certainly, in part. Um, mm-hmm. I think, it, you know, it was definitely extremely demanding on multiple levels. But I, yeah, but I do think that just getting in that mode of drive, 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 attack, 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 it just, it's not sustainable for, for the long term.
1: Especially if it doesn't match your personality.
0: Right. And what's interesting is I, I I enjoyed a lot of aspects of trials, which you actually don't get very many of when you're in litigation. Most cases settle. But there's something there were things that appealed to me about it because it's involves storytelling and you're dealing with a jury and so you're trying to connect to people and help them understand so there's there's sort of a teaching element to it but that's that is such a tiny little part of it the the buildup to get there is brutal uh, <laughs> and so you know there's all kinds of fights over what documents get produced there's all this, All this stuff that goes on, I mean, what you see on TV is never a reflection of what it's really like in the practice. So there can be aspects of that that are enjoyable and interesting and challenging, but then there's also just this slogging to get to that point.
1: Right. And do you feel that this is something that I've heard from other lawyers that I've treated in my acupuncture practice over the years that being in a law firm, because there is a need to disconnect emotionally in order to do the job the way that people want it to be performed, that sometimes that disconnect also carries through over to the colleagues within your office. And so this is one of the reasons that leads to the high levels of depression and substance abuse, because there's such a lack of connection
0: Mhm. I I would agree with that. I think that even, you know, you can de- you can develop friendships for sure with people that you're practicing with, but the it's it's absolutely striking the difference in the way I practice now with uh, other collaborative lawyers. It is so much more holistic and so people really see each other as whole persons. And so it's it's a there's a vulnerability to it. There is an authenticity to it. And people, I think, who are drawn to doing collaborative work are really interested in understanding people's motivations, and they they want to work well in teams of professionals. So there's so much emphasis on on how do we work well together? How do we get to know each other, trust each other? And that is a very different feel than a typical big law firm where it's built around a competitive structure as opposed to a uh, cooperative structure. And I think it's a difference between scarcity mentality and abundance mentality. And I do feel like people who are drawn to collaborative work are very generous with sharing information, sharing resources, because it's founded in an abundance model as opposed to a scarcity model,
1: right? And do you think that that scarcity model is something that is a result of the way law was created in this country, or do you think that it was designed that way in order to increase competition? Like, why? Why is it like that?
0: That's a really interesting question. I, I've heard a. I've heard this. There's this woman who writes a lot and speaks a lot and teaches a lot and collaborative. And she talks about lawyers, that the original purpose of lawyers um, was as a healer of the tears in the fabric of society. Mm. That's very different than zealous advocacy. So, so maybe if you were to look back really far, you might look at lawyers in a different light than the, what it's, what it is now, because I think so much of that has gotten lost. Okay. It's there's hyper specialization. There is a lot of competition. Yeah, I, that's a that's an interesting question. I think I think the advocacy system tends to reward that kind of behavior, um, as opposed to looking for ways to create value and as opposed to looking at win lose, looking at win win.
1: It's similar to what happened in medicine, really. Like everybody started specializing too much. The competition got fierce. Every, You know, the guy that does the heart forgot about the guy that does the hands.
0: Yes, that's so true. And I think that's probably one of the things I really like about Collaborative because we work with allied professionals on our team. So we'll work with mental health professionals to work on the parenting plan. We'll work with financial professionals to help develop the financial... You know, looking at assets and liabilities, and looking at cash flow. So we really are trying to bring the right kind of specialties into the problem solving because the divorce is a legal issue, but it's also an emotional issue. It's a parenting issue. It's a financial issue. So there's all these aspects to it, and so having having a team of different of people with different backgrounds, different training, who can work well together, can really serve the family. in in a way that just two lawyers really can't.
1: Yeah. And I agree that it's the same with medicine as well. If you have a team of people, if you are going through, for instance, cancer treatments and you have the person who's doing your chemo, but you have an acupuncturist to support your immune system in the meantime, and you have a mental health professional helping you deal with the mental emotional aspect of going through the process and you have, et cetera, et cetera. And all of these people can work together it makes the process much easier and better for both sides. I mean, both absolutely. Absolutely. So so you went, you got to this place where you were on antidepressants, you had back issues, your whole body was holding tension. You were frustrated. You felt out of alignment. It was all too much. And then you stopped and started making jewelry.
0: (laughs) Yes. Did something completely different. I took, I took a year sabbatical before I quit. Um, and I did really different things. I actually took a hip-hop dance class with a bunch of teenagers. Which, thank God my daughter was young enough that she wasn't mortified. But a few years later, she would have been absolutely horrified. I even did a recital, which was <laughs> way outside my comfort zone. But I was really just trying to, like, explore something totally different. And that's when I started taking classes and making jewelry. And I was like, I love this. And so I was doing that for a while. and. Um, I wasn't, I didn't have some hugely successful business doing that. It was probably more hobby. Yeah. So, so it's a, it's, it was a very different type of endeavor compared to practicing law. When someone meets you and hears you're a lawyer. They're kind of like, Oh, and someone meets you and they find out you make jewelry. They're suddenly more interested.
1: (laughs) Right. And which may, which is interesting because it, again, it increases that connection.
0: Yeah, it taps into creativity. There's, there's a physical, there's a, you know, it involves touch and it involves color and things like that.
1: Fried fam, I tell you in nearly every episode that step one of your burnout recovery is blood work. And I know that a lot of you avoid it because it's a pain and because your doctor has told you that everything is quote-unquote fine. And they refuse to test all the things that you think you need. What if I told you that you could test what you want, when you want, from your home with just a couple of drops of blood? CyFox Health allows you to do just that. You can buy tests as one-offs or join a membership. Either way, you can test and track your results to help you make decisions about your burnout recovery journey. Get 10% off any membership, subscription, or one-time test kit right now. Go to scifoxhealth.com forward slash fried for your discount. That's SIPHOX Health.com forward slash fried yeah and then so you were you did a year sabbatical you gave yourself time to explore things and when did the divorce happen
0: my divorce happened probably a few years after I had stopped practicing law so my daughter was about 10 when her dad and I got divorced and I didn't go back to practicing law for a few more years. Um, It took me a while to figure out what my next step was and what I wanted to do. And I hadn't even thought about doing divorce work initially. I mean, that's what was so kind of crazy because my, I had a really good divorce, but I kept thinking, well, if you're a divorce lawyer, you can do stuff to help people settle, but you also have to do the litigation part of it. And I, I really didn't have any interest in doing that. But then I realized that there were people whose whole practices were based around settlement. And then it suddenly became a lot more interesting to me.
1: And that's something that you wrote to me that I really loved. You wrote, I used to think I could never do 100% family law. I never wanted to be part of the nastiness that is so common with divorce. But once I realized I could have a practice that focused exclusively on peacemaking, it was a revelation. Now I love going to work.
0: It's so true. It's, it is, I feel so lucky. I get to work with fantastic people. I love my clients I feel like I'm actually helping people, which is different. Like when you work for a big firm and you've got a lot of corporate clients, it you just sort of feel like a cog in a wheel. In, in this kind of a practice, I feel like I can really help people. And I like doing the settlement focus because – I mean, I don't know anybody who's going to say, yeah, please sign me up for a really nasty divorce. I'd like it to take a long time. I'd like it to cost a lot of money and be miserable. Most people really would like to figure out how to work it out. It's very challenging though, because it is so emotional and it taps into people's core fear place because you're talking about people's money, which is a survival thing. You're talking about people's children, which is absolutely fundamental to them. So you're really dealing with issues that are deep within people's identity. And so maneuvering through the conflicts that come up because of that is incredibly challenging, but also very rewarding when you can do it in a productive way. And when you get to work with other professionals who are equally committed to that, you have the opportunity to enjoy that work, even though it's it is hard. It's challenging. You're, you're accompanying people on a very difficult journey, but it's very rewarding.
1: And how did you figure out that you wanted to go there? See what I hear from people that are burnt out. You had, it sounds like you had some time that you could use to sort of try some stuff out, figure some things out. There was some space for you, but how did you come around to actually figuring out what was going to work for you? Because I think this really holds people back often. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I, I know what you're saying. I think it's a lot of, uh, it's so much self reflection in terms of understanding what a person, what they like, what their skill sets are. I'm a big list maker, so I am a big proponent of, you know, brainstorming and making lists on what do I like about this or. What do I not like about this to kind of find my path? Um, So I think that's a, that's a tool certainly, you know, working with a coach, working with a therapist, those kinds of things are helpful in it's that's, I think it's really being able to connect deeply within yourself to know what fulfills you and then looking for the right kind of tools to help you understand where your strengths lie Um, where you might be able to get education to help with that. I mean, before I made the leap into opening my own firm, I did the collaborative training. I I went out of town to like a three-day training in the collaborative model because I thought I need to see if I actually do like this and and how how it sits with me. So I did that before I made that leap. But I went and I was like, oh my gosh, I love this. So I was very excited to get started on it. But, you know, that was just taking taking a chance on taking a class in it to see how I liked it.
1: Right. So you had to try it on a little bit.
0: Yes. Yes. I also talked to some people who had the same kind of practice that I was looking at. And I wanted to find out from them what their life was like, what they liked about their practice, what were the challenges, so I could hear more from somebody who was already doing that and see if that aligned with, what i wanted
1: to do right and did you over the course of this process you said you know for people that a coach is sometimes useful a therapist is sometimes useful are these all these the list making and the self reflection and the brainstorming are these things that you did as part of a personal growth thing by yourself or did you use the support of a coach or a therapist
0: i i have i've done a lot of therapy in my life um, I'm trying to remember, yeah, I, I, I'm, yeah, I'm pretty sure I was seeing a therapist at that time when I was making that decision. Um, some of these are, you know, I read a lot of books, and I, I, you know, now you can read things online, but I, so some of these are not necessarily tips that I got from a therapist. I think it's just I've always had this desire to understand myself and know myself better, mm-hmm. and so that's driven me a lot. Um, and I'm, I actually work with somebody now who has helped me so much with really deeply connecting to myself and it, it makes my work better. And like, I do a better job with my clients because of that work that I'm doing. And it has boosted me with just focusing on my business and creating the kind of life that I want overall, like big picture. So I, I do think there's, I think there's a lot of value in, finding the right helpers along the way, people who can give you guidance.
1: Yeah. And that's an interesting topic as well. Like what, what, how do you know that you found the right helper?
0: Probably a gut level feel. I'm a believer in following your gut. And I tell that to people when they're interviewing me as a potential lawyer, I'm like, look, if we're not a good fit, it's fine. And sometimes it's just, there's a chemistry and you can't describe it. It's kind of like dating people. You, you can't always make the perfect list and say, does this person check the box? It's, do you resonate with them? Do, you, do they, do, is what they're saying, does it align with you? Are things sparking within you when you talk with that person? So, so a lot of it's just feel.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. I wrote an article once about how to choose an acupuncturist and the first three points were about, does their vibe feel good to you?
0: Yeah, I think that's so important. And I I think people forget that they can trust that. You know, you walk it, if you walk into an office, you know, how does it make you feel? Like, how do you feel? I even do that with clients when they're trying to decide on settlement options. I'm like, let's say they're trying to decide, should I keep the house or not keep the house? And I say, just sit here for a minute. And just kind of close your eyes. And how does it feel in your body to think about being in the house versus moving somewhere else? I mean, I, I do think we, we disconnect from that a lot of times. And there's a lot of wisdom. Our bodies often know things before our mind even does. And I think there's a lot of wisdom there to tap into.
1: I've, this has come up very often through the conversations that I've been having with people around burnout and around recovering from burnout and around making decisions in their lives is getting out of the head and getting back into the body. That has come up so many times. Is that something that you find yourself doing on a day-to-day basis as well in your own life?
0: Absolutely. I do one-on-one Pilates twice a week and I have done it for years. It is, I call it my 401k for my body (laughs) because I've been watching my parents get older and having orthopedic issues. So I'm I, I want to take care of my spine like you wouldn't believe. So But it also, there's that deep connection. I know people who do yoga have the same thing. It's that deep internal connection where you're in your own body and there's a meditative quality to it to be connected like that. So absolutely, that is something that I believe is so important.
1: So your journey, like a few others that I've heard so far, ended up back in a place that was still based on the knowledge that you knew you loved from the beginning, but with a little bit of a different tilt. Yes. Right? So now when you're using those skills, but you're in a different environment, what is the difference between how your body felt and how your body feels?
0: Oh, wow. I mean, it was, it's, it's, when I think back to, what my body was like when I was practicing at the big firm. I, I can't even believe I lived like that. I mean, I I had such tight muscles all the time. It would feel like someone was stabbing me in the area in my upper, upper back sometimes. I was so locked up and disconnected. I actually... I, I can't even imagine living like that anymore. I mean it's it's night and day. I now I feel like there's a lot more fluidity of movement. And if I start to get tight somewhere, it's usually a good indicator. Oh, I better pay attention to this. Like, what is my body telling me? Like, what do I need to pay attention to? Because sometimes it's it's more than just I've been sitting at a desk too much. You know, it's it's a it's an emotional thing that I need to pay attention to. So I definitely think that the body is a great communicator.
1: I totally agree. The first online course that I created was called Listen Up, Your Body Is Speaking.
0: Oh my gosh, that's amazing. I the first the first time I really understood it was working with a therapist who did body work as part of the therapy. Oh wonderful. So, yeah. So she would just like touch, like I would lay on a massage table with my clothes on and she would just touch like my muscles, it wasn't a massage, but it would like bring up emotion. And I I was so surprised by it initially because I didn't have a very good connection. So I think that was my first opening to, wow, there's so much information in here uh, that I need to be paying attention to. And so as you start to release it, it's like releasing layers of information. And I, I think it's very important.
1: Yeah. And I love that you said that now it's not that the tension doesn't happen. It's that when it does happen, you use it as, you know, a yellow flag for, okay, what's going on here? What is it that I need to pay attention to? In my personal life, this is neck pain. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's the first thing for me every time. As soon as I, I start to notice that I'm adjusting my neck really often, like I'm, I'm moving it around more because it's not comfortable, I have to, and in my life, the the reason that I get tired the most often and the reason that I um, find myself in difficult positions is because I'm overgiving to someone, not because they asked and not because other people are terrible, but because I am a people pleaser by nature and it is not healthy. And when I have overdone it, I tend to notice that my neck starts to get. So once my neck starts bothering me, I think, okay, whose life do I need to step out of a little bit right now?
0: right exactly i think that is so true if you if you're listening for the signals you catch it before it becomes something more serious because a lot of times if you just override it and i think there's a lot of that in our society like just like push through the pain or ignore it or do you know take something to mask the pain you're missing that information you're overriding it and and it's if you're tuned into it you can catch it before it becomes a worse problem
1: Right. And when you're not tuned into it, you end up burnt out.
0: Yes, definitely.
1: There's a million signals on the road to burnout, but if you don't heed any of them, it doesn't really matter that they're there. Right. And we're taught, even in school, like I started, um, I was pre-med student before I went to study Chinese medicine. And basically we get to school on the first day and they're like, we're trying to fail you. Life is miserable. You're going to hate this. Buckle up. <sighs>
0: Oh, I, I don't. I don't remember school that quite that way. But is that how medical school is?
1: It was for me.
0: Wow. I mean, I guess. I guess I have heard that about medical school. Law school is competitive. I don't remember them saying like like saying a lot of you are going to fail. There's so many unhappy lawyers. Yeah. <laughs> no, and I. So that's it, a reflection on the profession, and maybe it's also a reflection on people not really spending time to think about if that's truly the path they wanna take before they go to law school. But well and
1: I think it's impossible to know really because you never really know anything for for real unless you've actually done it. And you can test in your body if you felt, you know, more expansion or you felt constriction. You don't know until you get there. You have to you don't know if the dress is going to look beautiful until you try it on. It's the same. That's true. With jobs, so you have to follow. I think the thing that is that makes you feel curious and the thing that makes you feel excited, but you didn't know that you were going to end up where you are today. And thank goodness you studied law because you're in this beautiful place. It just you had a little bit of a winding road to get there.
0: I would agree with that. I have a daughter who just graduated from college a year ago, and you know, if if I if there's any message I hope she gets, it's that. You don't have to have it all figured out. It's listening along the way because it is a journey. You will learn new things. You'll be exposed to new things. Things happen along the way that shift your path. And if you're paying attention and checking in with yourself along the way, you're not going to make any mistakes that are insurmountable. You're you're just going to keep going. And you're never going to know when you start off where you're going to end up in 10 or 20 years if you think you do, then you're probably in for a lot of hurt (laughs) because life, life doesn't really work that
1: way. Right. And I, and most of the people that I've spoken to that have been through burnout have said, I had this plan to become this person. I became this person and it didn't match the expectations that I held for the role. And so I burnt out.
0: Yes. If you think it's going to fulfill you and then you get there and it's like, uh, this really isn't, it isn't, what I was hoping for, then you're not, you're not really in sync with yourself. And so it, it's not sustainable.
1: Right. And you feel like, I think what happens a lot of times with people that have higher level degrees is that they become attached to the identity of who they are in that role, even if that role fits them as bad as a really terrible cheap dress.
0: That's very true. I actually think that my my sabbatical where I did all these things that are completely different than law really helped with that. Because I think I it was very hard for me to envision who I was outside of being a lawyer. I was very driven, I was achievement focused up to that point. And so pushing myself to try things that were completely out of the box, that were not my skill set, that were a lot different allowed me to open up my mind to other ways of seeing myself which is an important part of that
1: the way that Catherine and i were connected is because we're both a part of this online community and i joined this online community because i was at a place where i wasn't sure what was coming next and i love chinese medicine and i love acupuncture and i still use them but i know that they're not the only things that i'm meant to use anymore but letting go of being Caitlin Denovan, master's degree in traditional Chinese medicine is really been a difficult process for me. It's just been in the last few months that I've realized that I don't need to hold on to that anymore.
0: Hmm.
1: And yeah, I've been doing this for a few years now, and I'm still like, yeah. but, my, but my master's degree, and I'm in the back of my mind, I'm still saying, maybe you should go get the PhD. Ah, You know, and there's still this sort of, how am I going to impress people? How am I going to prove that I'm worthy enough? How can I let go of this identity that I created for myself? It's a difficult thing to go through and to let go of. So having that space to try things out and sort of giving yourself time to shed the skin, what a gift you gave yourself.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it seemed... Almost frivolous, some of the things I was doing, but I don't. I don't look at it that way anymore. Um, I, I'm not even sure I was conscious of why I was trying these different things. I, I think it was more just, oh my God, I've been so wedded to this one identity. Who am I without it? Like, can I? Do I have interests? Do I? You know, because I had squeezed everything else out. So, right. so it was sort of opening, opening up to possibilities, but.
1: Yeah, opening up to possibilities and staying curious, I think, is the only way to get yourself to a place of feeling inspired and fulfilled again.
0: Yes, I agree with that. And the more, I think, the more deeply you connect to yourself, the more energy you have. I think one of the problems with burnout. Is that it saps you of energy and you and you feel so overwhelmed, you don't know like how could I even like look at something? So for me, I was in that bad space and I just had to up and quit. And I realized for some people, they they for whatever reason they just can't do that. And it's a, it's kind of an extreme reaction. And I don't think that's the only way to get there. I I think that if I had I been more connected to myself, I maybe could have gone about it in a different way. But I think back then, when I look back at my who I was back then I was I was not very connected to myself that was that's definitely been part of my journey since then
1: right so if the journey had looked different if you had been more connected to yourself what do you think would have been different
0: I think I would have been more open to alternatives right out of the gate instead of just thinking oh I just have to quit being a lawyer I don't think that I had to quit being a lawyer because I now that I've gone back, I see that. But in my head, I couldn't even figure out a way. I I just couldn't.
1: This conversation yeah. already has been, I feel really powerful because you were able to share parts of your story that will hit people in a pretty raw spot, I think.
0: I'm glad to be of service because I do feel like I have been through a lot and i I know what it's like to be in that burnout phase and trying to figure out how do I get to a different place where I feel better about balance in my life.
1: Yeah. So if you had one thing that you would tell somebody, somebody sitting in front of you, they're totally burnt out and they don't know what the, the next right step is. What would you say to them?
0: Find ways to connect to yourself build your internal foundation because then you will have that strength internally to know what you like and what you don't like and find your path. But you're not going to find the answer outside of yourself. You're going to find it within yourself.
1: That's beautiful. Kelly, I loved that.
0: Well, thank you. I was really great to talk to you. I love what you're doing.
1: Thank you so much. Um, You guys, that was a wonderful conversation that we had with collaborative divorce attorney and mediator Kelly McConaughey. And what I want you to take from this, in addition to anything that resonated with you during this talk, is that small steps are absolutely necessary. Connecting with yourself is absolutely necessary. And if you're not sure, take the time to explore. These are the most important things that I feel like came out of today at this moment in time. I will include Kelly's information in the show notes. So if you happen to be someone who is in need of her services, you will be able to find her. And if you found this podcast useful, please share it far and wide with your friends and family and anyone who could use it. There are lots of burned out people in this world and they are waiting for a sign that they can change things. This is it. Thank you so much for listening, and I will talk to you next week.
0: Ain't gonna burn ourselves out no more. Ain't gonna burn ourselves out no more.
1: Got each other on our side, plus all the folks at Fried, the Burnout Podcast with Kate Donovan.